Well, it's great to be back with you. I was gone a week down in Mexico with a team from our church to minister in the church there. In fact, a week ago today, I was speaking in their church about this very time. We were able to watch them raise that roof again. I think I told you every Sunday morning at about 7.30, about 15 guys get out there. One of them is 73 years old. They grab ropes with um, pulleys and they hoist up these tarps four or five tarps, and that is their roof. They've not had one since an earthquake maybe 10 years ago. So um, I'll be coming back to you in, in maybe just a few weeks and, and asking you to help us put a new roof on their church um, because they, they asked us to help them, and we broke one of their ropes. <laughs> so now that we've wrecked their roof, I think we probably better... <laughs> go down and replace it. And we said, would you like us to come down and help you? They were like, no, 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 just no. We're okay, really, we're, we're fine. It's a, uh, it's a strong church of three, maybe 350, 400 people. They meet all over the city. And, and if they can get there by public transit, they meet on Sunday morning. And it's a, it's a thriving congregation. And I hope someday that you will get to uh, meet more of their people. In just a few months, we're going to have their pastor come up and preach in our church. And he's, don't worry, he speaks in spec, impeccable English. Uh, um, but I think you'll enjoy getting to meet him again. And so I was greatly encouraged by that trip. I think the highlight of the trip um, was last Saturday when we met in the front yard of a small home. We'd been there all day for a dental clinic, and two people came out of the clinic and were involved in conversations with the Mexican brothers and as a result of that gave their lives to Jesus Christ. I remember them calling us over and saying, would you come and pray with us? We'll translate, but would you pray with us while Albia um, gives her life to Jesus Christ? What a humbling moment that is. Every time that happens to me, I think I, the same thing happens. I have mixed emotions. I'm excited for the person, but I'm also cautious and guarded because I always wonder what's going to happen after this. Um, on the plane coming back, I was reflecting over some people that I, had, uh, I, that I was with when, uh, it, to use the words of Paul, the, the Lord opened their heart and they received the gospel. And uh, I'm, I'm just fascinated by how powerful God's work is. I remember the young lady that came into the office uh, some years ago and just sat down. I'd never met her before. She'd never been in church. And she said, I want to dedicate my new baby to God. And um, when I asked her why, she said, so my baby doesn't go to hell. That's all. That led to a conversation about what is involved in dedication and what, what that meant as a parent. And... Um, she came to the conclusion that day that she really shouldn't dedicate her baby until first she dedicates her Lord, that this was a turning point, her own life to God. And so there in that tiny little cold office, she bowed her head and uh, gave her heart to Christ. I remember I was explaining to her how the wages of sin were death, and she said, I am so far in sin, you don't need to explain this to me at all. I know all this. Just get to the point. And I wanted to say, I'm a preacher, not a soul winner. Let me finish my stuff. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> um, 
Steve came to the service one morning, grew up Jehovah's Witness, mother died, never went back to any religion at all, followed his wife who just found Christ to church, sat there, listened to the message. I spoke on how we always put decisions off. He left the service that morning visibly shaken. Members saw him walk out. They said, he's a brand new guy. I think you've ticked him off. You probably should go talk to him. So I called an older guy in my church and said, would you come with me? We got to go see this guy and see what's happening. When we knocked on his door, he said, my, I'm surprised I wasn't expecting to see you, but come on in. I need to tell you why I've decided to follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> I said, wait, can I like talk you into this or something? <laughs> and I just, I just remember, uh, you know, a guy, that, we're talking about a guy that lost $40,000, $50,000 a day in his gambling addictions would just turn around, make a 180-degree turn when he found Jesus Christ. His life, his whole family followed that passion. And so I was reflecting over these things, and I was over the woman that gave her life to Christ in the front yard, over the ones that I've been with, many of them over the years. And I always ask myself the same thing, what happens now? Every year at District Conference, we report the number of people that converted. By that, we mean the number of people that invited Jesus into their life. But there's not a lot of reports about how many met certain milestones after that point. It seems to me that there should be some celebration of milestones that come later, but we're, we're having a hard time defining those sometimes and then really tracking who has met those milestones. If the statistics that I've read are accurate... One out of every seven people who give their lives to Jesus Christ will revert to some previous behavior to the point where they will say, I never made that commitment. I don't think it meant anything. It doesn't mean anything now. One out of seven will completely revert to their former way of life with zero difference at all. About one half of those people, 48%, who come to Christ today will slip into a church, settle down, they won't make a splash, they won't get involved, they won't really grow, they'll just sort of disappear. They get absorbed by the church. So the church gets larger, they get awards, but, but the people themselves are just sort of stagnant. One out of four, about 26%, will come into a church and they will become active. They'll participate in some ministry, and they'll be very active, but there will be no clear direction when we talk to them about where this spiritual life is going. They're not able to articulate for us what a, uh, what a full disciple looks like or how you get there. About one in ten who come to Christ today will actually go forward in their faith. And if the numbers I've seen are accurate, about one in every hundred will come to the place where they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as themselves. So my first word to you is, lots of times when you're stuck, it isn't your fault. Things happen in the spiritual journey, and we're not ready for them, and they throw us off course. In Michigan, um, when it snows, people don't stop driving. Now, if you're from anywhere from North Carolina down, this shocks you. But it's true up there. They really don't. In M Michigan, where you get lots of snow on both the east and the west coasts, 
Uh, when it really, when the winds turn and it comes off the lake, you pull the shades, rent movies, because it's done for a couple of days. Um, but people don't stop driving. They just, they go all over the place. They just slow down 10 miles an hour. In Canada, you don't even slow down. You just keep going. And so it's very common when you live in states where there's cold winters and lots of snow that you get stuck. And it doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It just means that you lost control of the vehicle and now you're in the ditch. And you just learn to live with this. Every now and then when you fall into a ditch, what happens is you're car hits a mound of snow and you are unable to go through it and so you slow momentum and finally when you can no longer go forward you come to a stop and then if you're from North Carolina or South you sit there and you put on the gas thinking that well this will be easy I'll put it in reverse and I'll just floor it and fly out of here but everyone who has been in that situation knows that if you can't go forward you probably can't go back. So you try to rock it for a little while, forward, back, forward, back. You're trying to get momentum, you see. But when you lose momentum, then you lose traction. So when you step on the gas, then all that happens is your wheels start spinning. And the more they spin, the more they create a slick of ice. So no amount of stepping on the gas is going to get you out of there. Now you're going to have to do something different. Every now and then you'll be driving by and you'll see someone whose car is in the snow. You'll pull over, good Samaritan-like, walk over and see the Florida license plate and say, "Um, are you okay? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. They say holding a cell phone. "Uh, Can I help you out? No, no, I think I've got this. What are you going to do? And they'll say, well, I'm going to wait. Say, first spring? (laughs) Did you call somebody? No, 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 no. Cell phone for games? Um, No, I think someone will come along. They'll find me. So you think someone's going to drive along, find you in the ditch with nothing else to do on a snowy night and pull you out? Yeah, I I mean, it'll happen. Person's crazy. Being stuck and just sitting there are not the same thing. Nobody sits there ever gets out. Ever. Ever. So there are people now in the middle, they haven't washed out, they haven't let go of their faith, and on the other hand, they haven't moved forward. There are now new two categories, not one. There's a category of people that are stuck. They're spinning, trying new things in everything they try. More services, more plans, more ideas. They get no traction. But they're still trying. Stuck is motion without progress. It's cost without benefit. It's a form of godliness, but no power thereof. Sitting there is another situation Sitting there is a form of quiet despair. So now in between those who washed out and those who are growing are those who are spinning and those who think this is as good as it gets. Maybe this Christian life is easy for some people, but it isn't easy for me because I'm not 
naturally religious like you are. You see it? One more time, I won't ask you to self-identify, but can I assume that there's a fair number of people in our congregation, you who are in one of those states, can I have the rest of this time specifically with you? The beautiful thing about our passage is that it speaks to people who I think are stuck. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is what Peter says, God has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. What a statement. Man, don't just... He just said, God doesn't need to do anything more than he's already done. You don't need some new act or new dispensation of grace. You already have at your disposal everything that you need to get moving again. So no talk about how, well, that sin or that thing in my past kind of disqualifies me. This is as good as it gets. No, no. Peter says, you already have everything everybody else has, even the ones who are taken off. Now, you may not be using it in the same way, but please, can we just start here and say, you already have it now. You're not looking for some magical phrase or formula or secret code to get your spiritual life going again. You have the code. You got it. Then in verse 4 he says, in addition to these things, God has given us great and precious promises that we should be participants in the divine nature. Listen to what Peter is saying. He is not telling you that you will be just a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He is not talking here about simply following Christ. He's talking about being intertwined in the very life of the triune God. You know how we mentioned this stuff in the series Possessed? This is what he's talking about. He's saying the life, the nature, the energy that proceeds from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you can be absorbed into that. Oh, my goodness. So the really good news is, if you feel stuck this morning, and you feel that this is as good as it gets, it's not because your expectations for religion were too high. If anything, they were not high enough. Whatever you have and whatever you feel, you already have what you need to be more. In fact, God has already designed it so you will be more. So this is where you just breathe a sigh of relief. You saw it's amazing. That is really, really good news. So what do we do? You guys, in verses 5, 6, and 7, he lists eight virtues. Starts with faith. He says, add to your faith. And he ends with love. 
So what Peter says is, if you're stuck and you can't get traction, verse 8 and 9, if you have all of these promises for life and godliness, but in verse 8 you're living ineffective and unproductive lives, then he says, there is a way out of this. And in the middle of this list are six different virtues that have verb-like qualities. So here's what I want to do for you this morning. I want to be as practical as I can and yet speak to everyone. I want to give you a list of things you can do right now if you're stuck. First, add to your faith goodness. Try something. In order to go where you've never been, you'll probably have to do something you've never done. Try something. Now, it doesn't mean just try anything. Look around you and see where is God moving? And how can I get into that? You don't have to be good at it. You can be awful at it. You just have to do it. I think we've made a mistake telling everyone that their calling in life is the place where they are most passionate and most gifted. Sometimes that's true, but it's not always true. It wasn't true for Moses. It wasn't particularly passionate. Go call my brother. And he sure wasn't gifted. I have this speech impediment. It wasn't true for Moses. It wasn't true for Joshua. It wasn't true for Gideon. It wasn't true for David. There were always flaws in these people. So you must not sit there and think, well, I got to find the thing that I'm... No, here's what I'm asking you to do. Look around you and say, what is God doing in people's lives or in the organizations around me? Where is God active and what is really getting traction? And then how can I just go and volunteer to do that? Do something brand new. So when I talk to people, I will say to them, when did your spiritual life like get a jolt and these are the common answers well I mean I decided to volunteer for something I was awful at it but when I did it I mean I found an I found a new purpose someone else said I went to a prayer retreat for the first time I didn't even know how to listen to God I just started reading the Bible figured that'd be the place to start and right in the middle of that conversation I knew it was God he started saying and he quotes him Someone else said, I decided to sign up to kind of mentor a kid. I don't even like kids, but I decided that I would come alongside and just spend an hour with one of these kids. Someone else said, I decided to testify. Shy, introverted, but I thought I'd just tell somebody at work or in a small group my testimony. And when I did, my spiritual life suddenly jolted. Try something. Uh, I got a call not long ago from... um, Ryan Jones in our church, I see Chelsea, where's Ryan? He, he says, I'm in this stage where I'm feeling stuck. You know what he did? He found four of his friends. He said, I'm going to ask you to send me a list of disciplines so I have enough disciplines or like new things I've never done before. And I'm going to do them for a month. And so every day he would pull a three by five card. We each had to write one thing on a three by five card and then he would pull a three by five card out that morning and surprise read what he was going to do that day he got to one I wrote that said spend the first four hours reading and listening to God 
He did this for his spiritual life, for his family life, for his physical life. I was hurt he didn't ask me about that one. And, <laughs> and for his work life. All I'm saying is, try something that you've never tried and get used to the fact that you won't be good at it. You see, that's what makes it so powerful. It moves you into your deficiencies. And it is your deficiencies, not your strengths, that build you spiritually. When we are weak, then God is strong. Second, add, he says, add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge. Sometimes we can't go forward in our spiritual growth because... The teaching in the church is not solid enough to sustain a spiritual life older than two or three years. Um, in the last 10 or 20 years, the church, it seems, has made almost everything entry level. And so the teaching is so... And the problem, you guys, is that when a person leaves a church and goes to work tomorrow, they will be required by their jobs to think at degrees 10 times more complex than we ever ask of them in church. This ought not be. So these churches become perpetual farm clubs for churches that are teaching. So... Find a group, find an organization, settle into it, and learn things new. Note to self, the smarter you are, the harder it will be for you to learn something. It's not because you think you know everything. You're way too humble for that. It's because you might be confusing knowledge with understanding. The knowledge of which Peter speaks is not cognitive. The word epinosis means a deep, inward, resonating comprehension in the direction of Jesus Christ. So don't settle for simply reading stuff and understanding it. It will dawn on you. Has that happened to you for anything, right? There was a guy here yesterday. We did a funeral here yesterday. He's like 80-some years old. And partway through the funeral, his message, he said, just recently, I have learned what up to now I have only believed. <laughs> you see the difference? I remember Ross Hoffman, three years ago today, he left us suddenly. I remember him standing right here in the middle aisle, arms flailing. I was here, no one else in the sanctuary when he said, oh my goodness, Pastor Steve, there's a whole new economy out there. I said, what do you mean? He said, things are not what they seem. Go on. He said, we have the wrong values. Stuff that we think is hugely important is not that important, and stuff that we, we, we think is trivial is very important. Her value system is jilted, he said. He's been a Christian for years, but that was that moment. You see what I mean? It was that moment of comprehension. This is one of the areas where God frequently breaks through my stuckness. 
I remember years ago when I read for the first time the humanity of God. I was already having thoughts that were pointing in that direction, and then all of a sudden I read this piece um, in order so I could preach something. The truth of the humanity of Christ, it's like someone just pulled back the curtains, and I remember setting the pen down and getting up and walking around the building and thinking to myself, if this is true, this changes everything, and if it's not true, I am in grave danger. It was one of those moments again last spring when we did the Possessed series. That was another big moment for me just before that when it began to be clear to me that what God wanted for the normal Christian life was a life possessed by the Holy Spirit through which He channels His grace and His power. And while that may seem ordinary to you, it's the fresh comprehension of these things. And so if you need to learn something, oh man, there are people all around. The, the, I mean, look around here. This room is filled with really smart people. But you want people who won't just teach you academic knowledge. You want people that are living in deep places and you want to get next to them. You want to read what they're reading. You want to get in their groups. You maybe want to audit their classes. Now learn things that you don't know. So God has something to light fire to. we got to move along. He says, add to your knowledge self-control. It's a really bad word. The word literally means it's to take grip of oneself. It's a rare word in the New Testament. It's used common in secular Greek and it means to grab hold of oneself. So if you think of it as self-control, then you see it as restraint or moderation. But if you see it as taking hold of yourself, it becomes discipline. Practice something. Start a new practice. <laughs> so I had a group of Small group leaders, we got together. There were 12 of us. We met every month. I said, we all need to grow. We need to be more than we're calling our people to be. And so I said, I'm going to list the spiritual disciplines. I listed maybe 20 or 30 spiritual disciplines. I could only name 10. So I made another 20 up. Just said, here are things that if you did them, they would be brand new. So what I'd like to do is go around the room and just... Uh, Name two that you've never done before, and then I'll write your name next to that discipline. So look them over, because from now for the next year, every time we meet, we're going to hear from you. You, it, you guys, there was a direct correlation between people who were practicing these disciplines and those whose lives were growing. So one of them said, I will commit every morning to get up an hour earlier and read one of the Christian classics. I listed 10 or 15 classics. She picked one. And I said, just read it. Ah, not a chapter a week. Whatever you want. Just read it. And it was fascinating to watch people run into new depth, new insights, and to watch their lives elevate. So practice something. You've never practiced before. Two of them. Fourth, add to your discipline or your self-control. Endurance. Perseverance. Endure something. 
You guys don't pick this one. Don't choose this one. It will choose you. And when it does, you will need an interpreter to come alongside of you and tell you what is happening. I I don't know. um, Maybe six months ago, I don't remember how long it's been, I was in uh, Kyle and Brittany's uh, home, and um, you know that they lost a child suddenly, um, to just suddenly passed away. And there was a gathering in their home to mark the one-year anniversary for that, and and the house was, you should, I mean, you should have been there. The house was filled with like 30-somethings. It was amazing. People that walked through this tragedy with them were showing up a year later to just commemorate the life of this child. And so while there was this sense of sadness, there was also a sense of community and joy and love. And I remember standing in the kitchen and there was a birth certificate on the counter and had the little footprint and everything on it. And I I never know what to say in something like that. Man, I'm awful at this. So I just, that's what I said. Man, I'm awful at this. I don't know what to, I, I feel horrible. I feel so sorry for you. I don't know what to say. Brittany said, I wouldn't trade the last year for anything. What? She said, don't get me wrong. I would take my child back in a heartbeat. But if I cannot, what God has done in our lives in the last year has been extraordinary. That's why I say, don't choose this. But when something happens to you, remember this. There is always grace laying around somewhere when you are in the darkest place. The trouble is we don't find it. We're too busy trying to get out. But if we will sit there for a while and look for grace in the form of people, in the form of community, in the way that the church gives back to those who've had things taken away, And to have someone come along and say, you have not sinned. God is not angry at you. This has happened. If you're stuck, you should be stuck. It's okay. It's all right. When this is over, and it will be over, God is going to take you to a new place. Has that happened to you? Boy, it's happened to me. It's never in it, but when it's over... There's a new height. Fifth, add to your perseverance godliness. Confess something. The psalmist said, my bones wasted, Psalm 32, my bones wasted away because the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. And then I confessed and you forgave my transgressions and you hid my iniquity from your face. Oh, sometimes there is a sin that just eats away at the security and the confidence that we have. 
And we don't want to confess it because we're sure that God is holy and he can't stand sin. But the truth is, it's almost never your sin that keeps you from God. It's the apparatus that you build up around your sin in order to justify it. It isn't the sin, it's the way you rationalize it, the way that you make it seem normal like everybody does it. Because you see, that's what stays with you forever. is isn't the sin, it's what you do next. And so maybe some of you this morning are stuck because there's that thing that you haven't confessed And can I just encourage you, man, bring it out before God. Talk about it. Name it. Describe it. Talk about what it's doing to you and how you want to be free from it. Ask Him for the power of deliverance. And then if I can add, make restitution. Make it right. Not long ago, I talked to someone who was going on for a while about his youth and how charming he was to this person or that person. And partway through the conversation, I said, can I interrupt you? I bet you lust has been a problem for you for a long time. There was a long pause. And suddenly he started to gush. Confession after confession after confession of multiple affairs And when he was through, he was ready to let it go. He just said, I can't believe I've told you things I've never told anyone. I feel so much better about this. I said, listen, confession does nothing if it does not lessen the impulse to do it again. So make it right. Now you have to go make it right. You have to have those hard conversations and you have to build firewalls in your life so it does not happen again. Last. Add to your godliness brotherly kindness. The the word philadelphos literally means the love of of the community. So I think what he's saying is add the love of the community. Join something. Get into something. Belong to something. Sometimes we'll stand up here and say to you guys, hey, we're starting new small groups. We'd love for you to join. I know some of you are thinking, oh, you just want to build a small group ministry. I'm not wired that way. Listen, lone wolves suffer. People who belong to thriving communities and that give themselves to those communities in the week. They don't just attend. They actually connect and engage with the members during the week. Those people almost always thrive. So here's what I'm asking you to do. There are six things. And the rule is this. If you're stuck, choose one and you'll get traction. Maybe you'll look around you and say, what opportunities have presented themselves? I mean, they're right there. All i got to do is seize them. And maybe you'll look behind you and say, where are the places in the past where God has 
used to get me unstuck again. But look, that's what I'm asking you to do. If you find yourself stuck this morning and you want traction, find one of these things and say for the next two months, that's right, two months, 60 days, I'm going to practice this. One of these will give you traction. Add one and you'll get momentum. So even if you're really good at one, you'll look at this list again. We'll put them up in a minute and you'll say, you know what, that's one I, I, I think God would love for me to do. Write it down. And then for the next 60 days, if you can discipline yourself to practice that faithfully, if you can live with trying for a while without seeing immediate results, I believe in two months' time, you will hear traction.